0: Welcome back to the Wise Athletes Podcast with Joe Lavelle and Dr. Glenn Winkle. Today, we get back together with Hunter Allen to wrap up our discussion about putting fun back into training. There is magic in cycling, a magical power that all of us can tap into to overcome the suffering of working hard to get stronger, a power we can use to find the consistency in our training that will make all the difference. The formula is simple. Do what you love, what gives you pleasure. Exercise can be a grind when it becomes something you have to do to be healthy to look good to fit in your pants It's just more work, but maybe you remember when it was fun when it was all new When your exercise was a byproduct of having fun with your friends This is the magic that waits for you to reclaim and use it Of course, it doesn't have to be cycling But that's what I do 10 hours a week and I love it if I do it right The question I asked is how to have fun while getting a good workout That was the reason I asked Hunter to come back to finish up our conversation about no man's land and sweet spot and how these can be used as a part of having fun while we build and sustain our endurance fitness. Be sure to listen all the way through to the end when we summarize the big movers of fitness that should be top of mind. All right, let's talk to Hunter Allen. Guys, thanks for coming back to finish up our discussion about sweet spot training and the idea of making sure endurance training is fun, so we'll actually do it. And in this way, I'm talking about myself. We covered a lot of ground, but as I was afraid of, we didn't get through all of it. And and really what we left off was the deep dive into sweet spot, Hunter's baby. And so uh, we're going to give him a lot of time here. And I want to kick this thing off by just saying that it occurs to me as I was thinking about this session coming up that i have been thinking about this all wrong i kind of have been thinking that oh i really feel bad about you know not being able to do polarized and and that's really the best way maybe i'm just different and and i was thinking i had to justify myself and that's totally wrong you know when i think back to how polarized training was advocated to me it was Oh, riders, they exercise too hard, too much of the time, and then they're too tired and unable to do the really hard efforts, either in their races or in their training. Well, that does not apply to me or, or I think to a lot of older athletes, in my opinion. In the limited time I have for training, I want to enjoy it or,
1: by gosh, I'm not going to do it. What do you guys think? Yeah, a- absolutely. I think that's a, a key part of this is is really understanding, number one, you know, uh, the fun factor is a huge part of of everything that we do in cycling and, uh, achieving goals and being successful. I mean, it has to be fun. Right. And, uh, you'll, you'll continue to do it if, as long as it is. And anytime, you know, I, I work with an athlete, or I coach somebody who work in, you know, whether they're a triathlete, a cyclist, a runner, whatever, you know, and, and as soon as they start to struggle with the, the completing the workouts, you know, that's one of the first things I ask, you know, is like, are you having fun? You know, and the first thing that you know, <laughs> they usually come back with is like, "Man, it's this is a lot of a lot of intervals." You know, I need I'm tired. I need some rest, and, and so you know, we have to make sure we always have that fun factor in there. And then, to right. um, figure out too, how does it fit realistically in your life, right? Because it's got to, you know, as as masters athletes, you know, we've got to stay fit you know, for at, at a pretty high level. We talked about our last, our last talk about that is that's an important part. And, and so losing fitness is, uh, is not something you really want to lose a lot of in the off season. I, I certainly believe in taking this, you know, break, you've got to recharge your battery. That's super important. But at the same time, you've also got to make sure that, that hey, we don't lose so much because it takes us a long time to get back. What do you think, Glenn?
2: I totally agree. I mean, how many times I had a great workout plan for someone at the Belladrome, and I get there, I take one look at him, I go, "How was your day today?" And I know it's going to tell me, and it's like it was a disastrous day. I thought, you know, if we do this workout today, you're going to hate me, and you're going to hate bike racing, and you're not going to come back. So I'll say, let's do something. Let's have some fun today, and we'll, we'll, do, we'll change the workout so he has a good time because he had a bad day. And I think that applies to any rider, whether you're coach or not. I mean, if you had a really bad day and you got a really tough workout, you know. Call your tough day the tough workout and make the riding fun and like the like the, the recovery from the day. Cause it's gotta all come like it gotta as older athletes, we have bad days, we have good days at work, or you know, or, or you know, just stressful days and non stressful days. It's important to be able to balance that. So it's not just following the program my coach said, I'm gonna do intervals today. And it's like, on a bad day, that's not a good good, good idea at all. Yeah. And I remember
0: Glenn in the last session talking about how when he pushed himself to the limit in a workout, it was hard to recover from it. But when he did it in a race where he was having fun, it wasn't hard to recover from it. So, there's something about enjoying yourself that's good for you. So, let's leverage that.
1: Alright, awesome. Hmm.
0: My goal for today then is and sweet spot obviously is the is the center of this but, but really my goal is a little broader. I want to examine that no man's land, that space below the lactate threshold or lactate steady state or the maximum power you can hold for around an hour, it's long been called threshold. So the, this no man's land below that threshold, but above that endurance pace, that fat max pace that you could do for a very long time, for hours. And so I, I do want to talk about more than just the sweet spot, Hunter, you made it clear that the sweet spot is really the upper end of that range. And and I'm interested in understanding, you know, the whole thing. So I I guess the lower end is maybe called tempo. At least that's what I understand it. Yes. And what I have heard, the reason that I want to lump all that together is that what I have heard. And I think it was Dr. Coggin who had said this, whom you know, very well. Yeah. Is that in that space, you're you're training essentially the same energy systems just at different proportions, depending on how hard you're going. And so It can be thought of as just a range of you know trade-off as you see fit Mm -hmm. if you've got you know less time well then go harder and you'll get the same amount out of it in less time because that was all that you had and and maybe that would be a little bit harder to recover from but okay you know you've only got so much time and you want to get as much adaptation as much training stress as you can hunter how do you think about this this range in that power duration curve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, the so so we let's just kind of you know think about that from you know level one active recovery, level two that's our endurance pace. Um, which is all the way up to, you know, 75% of our, our functional threshold power. And then above that, you know, that, that zone three, that tempo place is really, you know, we, we put that 76 to 91% of FTP of functional threshold power with the sweet spot being 88 to 93%. So it kind of crosses over into the, to the threshold zone, the lower edge of threshold, which we categorize as 91 to 106%. Yeah, you know, and those those are continuums, right? There's nothing magical that happens at 90, percent and then you switch over into your threshold at 91. Like, there's no magic there, right? It's a continuum. You're you're constantly in these different aerobic and anaerobic zones and, and stuff. So keep that in mind. That's always important for everybody here to listening to that. When we think about tempo, you know, we think about it from a perspective of um, this is a pace that is. A relatively hard to do, but not so hard that it's not doable. It takes it takes focus and intention, right? It's not like, oh, I'm just noodling along and and just new you know hanging out, right? And I can let my mind wander kind of thing. When you're doing tempo, it's like, you know, you're focused. You're pushing it. You're 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 having a strong, steady pace for a while. And when we think about that, you know, we think about it, in terms of increasing the time that we can do tempo, so we may do that in blocks. We may start out and do that in blocks—30 minutes, 45 minutes, 60 minutes, maybe an hour and a half of tempo, maybe two hours of tempo. We may build up to two and a half hours of just solid, strong tempo pace, um, especially if we're we're training for a, a, a pretty big event that that may last, you know, four, five, six hours or something like that. The sweet spot, you know, just sits right underneath your FTP. As we know that the the analogy I like to think of, to talk about is uh, if you think of your FTP as your as the table, right? It's a tabletop, and the uh, the height of your table is the how how big the FTP is, right? So when you first start cycling, you start out and the table is really close to the floor. The tall to- the the top of the table is close to the floor. Maybe your FTP is 100 watts or 150 watts, and then you get fitter and fitter in the table, you lifts up. Um, now, how do you generally pick up a table, right? We, we come underneath the edge of the table and we lift it up from underneath. So just below the, t- the table top itself. And that's kind of what we talk about sweet spot. Now we can dig our fingernails in the edge of the table <laughs> and lift it up that way and that's that's also a way to lift it up but we can only do it for a certain period of time and it's and it's pretty painful right so that's riding right at the edge right that's on your limit that's at your ftp as hard as you can go and then you can also you know lift the table up from the top by doing vo2 max intervals you know which is zone 5 if you take a, a hook into the top of the table hook it and then you know screw holes in there and lift it up from the top but if we screw too many holes in the table it kind of collapses and so that's that's something we want to avoid when we think about adaptations and um, from from what we're, we're always kind of coming back from this, this idea of what's our goal? What's our training goal? Um, you know, what's my event? What are the demands of the event? Oh, it's a, it's a, a 75 mile ride. It's got two mountains I've got to go over. Um, you know, there's rolling hills in the last hour or something, so we look at the demands of the event. But when we look at the adaptations The adaptations is, is one of these things. And this is what, this is a great chart that, uh, Dr. Coggan and I have in our, our book, training and racing with the power meter that kind of tells about, you know, okay, you get the most, um, adaptations when you're riding at sweet spot, um, for increased plasma volume. I mean, that that's, that's the biggest one, right? You get the most adaptation for increased mitochondrial enzymes when you're at that sweet spot. You get the equal amount of increased lactate threshold at sweet spot as you do at threshold. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah, sure,
0: sure. Are you saying you get more because you get more time at that right. than you would at like a, above threshold? Exactly. Exactly. Okay.
1: Because your total time that you can you can train is higher, right? So when we okay. think about let's go let's take back a step back. We okay we get tempo we break it into blocks. Maybe we're doing two and a half hours sweet spot now maybe we're starting out at, at 20 minutes at sweet spot. And then we do two times 20 minutes and then we do three times 20 minutes. Uh, and then maybe we do four times 20 minutes or something like that at sweet spot. And maybe we end up just doing a solid hour of sweet spot and taking a break and maybe doing another 30 minute session of that. So a lot of those, these adaptations come because you have that total time in that training zone. We get more Glycogen storage, you know, is very, very high amount of adaptation for our glycogen storage there. We get increased stroke volume and and cardiac output riding in our sweet spot. Um, Same thing with our VO2 max. So all these things adapt and improve from riding in this zone three and sweet spot area that a lot of the, the polarized People you know the, the, who, who really you know use that all the time, they're like, "Oh, this is no man's land. this is not where you need to be." However, from a, a exercise physiology standpoint, there's an incredible amount of adaptations that occur riding in those zones. Hmm. Not that I know a lot now, but when I knew a little bit less than I know now,
0: and I was totally a true believer in the polarized, and I was advocating for it with everybody, I often would get thrown in my face by people who didn't agree, pyramidal. Mm-hmm. They would say, well, don't you know that the pros don't do polarized, they do pyramidal. And I, I was like, well, no, I hadn't heard that. That can't be true because polarized is best. Mm-hmm. So sweet spot or, or even just any training level or training zone is it, It's just an intensity. Yes. That's not a training plan. I, I assume you don't mean people should just do sweet spot right or sweet spot intervals Every day they get on the bike. Right,
1: exactly. No, I mean, that's a great point because we want to have a variety of, of work, right? We still do riding at zone two at endurance pace. We still do VO2 max intervals. We still do sprints to improve our neuromuscular power. I mean, all those things, we still have to have that variety that's really important um, because the demands of cycling require it. Right. Oh, gosh, I got to sprint up this hill. Well, you better train for that if you're going to want to do well at that. And so when we think about it from a perspective of how do you plan this in a periodization cycle and how do you um, think about it from a weekly perspective, you may do in this period right now, let's say, you know, kind of coming into the season, this is a, you know, twice a week thing okay, I'm going to ride, I'm going to do two times 20 at sweet spot. And I do that on Tuesday. And I do that on Friday or Wednesday and Saturday or whatever that is, whatever day fits in there Um, twice a week. would be a great time to do do that right now. It gives you a good amount of time in this area. Now that might change as we get closer and closer to let's say racing season or or Grand Fondo event season or whatever. um, And now you're ready, wow, I need to start doing intervals right at my FTP. Maybe you're going to start doing them even more intensely. And then you start to add in some VO2 max and anaerobic capacity. um, And pepper in an intense day, at least every two weeks. I mean, I think that's important too. Uh, Every 14 days or so, you know, even in the off season, pepper in a little bit of intensity. Maybe you do two times five minutes at VO2 max. Maybe you do four times one minute at anaerobic capacity so that you're still addressing that system and getting a a bit of, you know, okay, let's keep it going here, guys. we want to make sure we're okay. Um, But it's not just, oh, wow. You're going to do sweet spot Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I mean, that's a tremendous amount of training stress, and you're going to be crushed from that. Um, So it still is, you know, giving yourself, you know, these rest days and days between where you're riding and other intensities. Let's go back to that um, pure middle versus polarized thing. Uh, I
0: mean, what that's referring to for people who don't know. So the polarized would be that you're doing a whole lot of the low end nothing in the middle, and then, you know, maybe 10 or 20% at the really high end. And so that's why it's polarized. It's, you know, if if you kind of looked at the distribution, it'd be a big peak and then nothing and then a little peak. And then the pyramidal is where you have, again, the big peak or you have the most volume at the low end, then you have less volume in the middle. And then even less volume at the upper end. So that's kind of what, so sort of like a leaning pyramid.
1: Right. right. And think of it as like you're building that foundation of fitness, right? And I, and this is a whole nother discussion, but I really don't like the word base training, um, especially for master's athletes. I think it's very confusing. I think it's uh it's somewhat erroneous, um, especially if you only have 10 hours a week to train. It's like, man, you don't have time to spend 10 hours riding around at 60% of your FTP. I mean, you're just going to get out of shape. Yeah. You know, base training, when, when, when I think of it, is riding around really slowly and just getting in a ton of endurance work. That works great if you're 20 years old and you're a pro and you got 25 hours a week to train and you go and ride at this slow intensity kind of thing right that makes that makes perfect sense um and that's why also like they can do this polarized training because they've got so much time and they can just go riding around build this base and then work on that now from from a master's training perspective it's more like, OK, I want to have this foundation of fitness. So, you know, OK, just a different name for, for the thing, but it just gives it a different connotation as well, where I keep my foundation solid. right? The foundation of your house is always solid and strong and we're always going to keep that solid and strong. And then if we need to, when we need to, we can just bump it up and we go where we need to be. And we're not that far away from our our best fitness. And so by doing more work in the tempo sweet spot range, that just makes that base really tall and wide so that that's like, man, we can just be there when we need to be there. Okay. Well, that is useful to know. Um, you know, as I hear you
0: talk about, oh, this time of year and, and it's like, well, this is not a Zwift guy. Zwift, <laughs> uh, there's no season in Zwift, it's, it's just, you know, you just decide when your season is or maybe you can make the mistake of, oh, I'm just going to race every time I get on my bike, then that's a person who would benefit from some more polarized training. But for a person like me and maybe a person like Glenn, who recovers better when they're having fun, doesn't notice suffering when they're having fun, when they're in a, in a race, And so they can go harder than they could just force themselves to go without it. Zwift, I think, has made trainers something that a regular person who doesn't have the, you know, the discipline of a Vulcan actually work. But there is the risk of doing too much. There is the loss of the seasons, which means that you could race all year long if you let yourself, uh, and that could be a mistake. You were talking about recharging your battery and, and that sort of thing. What would you say to you know an older athlete who, you know, most of their stuff is on Zwift. Right. I mean, I'll admit that all of my writing is on Zwift at the moment.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, train entertainment is a great thing, right? I mean, um, it's made our lives a lot easier when and we have these very specific workouts and the, the trainer just gives you the load in erg mode and then you just hang on for dear life and, and try and do the load um and so it can be very specific and, and yeah, get your ftp right right, right exactly you get your ftp right and you can um and more specific than you can do outside i mean quite frankly right i mean you're not dealing with terrain and traffic and all this other stuff but i think that you bring up a great point joe is that you know if, if you spend all that time racing that's just like man you know, one, you're going to be overly tired. And two, it's just incredibly intense um, because basically these things are just riding at your FTP and above for the whole freaking race. And so it doesn't really give you what you need in terms of, you know, building that foundation. And and, uh, that's a real critical piece to it. So if you want to race and I I think again, it's something then, then just pick one day a week. And you say, okay, I'm going to race this day. And so maybe what you do then is say, okay, my Monday is my rest day Tuesday. I'm going to do my race. All right. I do my race on Tuesday. It's a 45 minute race. I take it easy on Wednesday. Uh, maybe do some cadence, cadence drills, you know, 10 times, one minute, fast pedaling drills, something like that just to keep the perception going. Then on Thursday do your two by 20 at sweet spot. Uh, Take it easy on Friday, right? And then Saturday you can do another two by 20 at sweet spot and do them in Zwift by all means, but you know, don't do it in a race. Mm. And then Sunday comes along and, and you have a nice Sunday. You can do whatever, you know, at that point, I would probably advocate um, what I call the kitchen sink workouts. Um, you know, the old adage there, you know, when you're going on for vacation, um, and we're taking everything and the kitchen sink, right? <laughs> in the car, <laughs> Or in Glenn's case, uh, you know, we're taking everything in the house and the kitchen sink. (laughs) And the cabinets, And all the bikes. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, so so, I mean, the the kitchen sink workouts are, are, you get some endurance, you get some tempo, you get some sweet spot, you get some VO2 max, you get a little bit of everything, right? It's that kind of just combination of all of it. So
0: this business of, you know, these distributions of training zones, I wonder if that isn't maybe less prescriptive and more just sort of a a consequence of the training mm. that you do and at which ought to be based on what do you want to get better at right so it starts with my guess is your work with your clients starts with what do you want to accomplish and where are you now so that we can figure out a path to get you from where you are to where you want to be and then the training is created maybe without drawing out the curves to see, is it a pyramid or is it a polar? You just do the training and then, and then you, you know, play along with it to see whether they're recovering well enough or not. And then you have to adjust and because everybody's different. You know, you look at these studies. I, I was just listening this week to a guy was talking about a study he did on what was better polarized or pyramidal. And, and you know, and I spent an hour listening to how he came up with a 2% improvement for pyramidal over polarized. And I thought, 2%, <laughs> I don't do
1: anything for 2%. Yeah, holy smokes. Yeah, that, that seems a little extreme. And I think that that's probably within the error of measurement, <laughs> to be honest, right? Yeah. You just have a, a good day and, and push yourself a little bit harder and get 2% out. Oh yeah, I mean, just don't reset your parameter properly and yeah. you've got 4%. <laughs> <laughs> so. Let me, I want to make one other point here before we move on and I want to talk a little bit about, um, so, you know, I want to throw another little monkey wrench in here because I think the, the listener will also get a better feel for the, the overall picture, right? So we've got this polarized training, right? We've got the pyramidal training and then I want to throw in this idea, what we call block training. And block training is what uh, most of the professional athletes, professional cyclists do, and it's the best way to train if you are unencumbered by the workday week. And and what I mean by that is that it doesn't matter if you have a rest day on a Saturday or a Sunday; you can still do your long ride on a Wednesday if you need to, kind of thing. Block training is basically training as hard as you can for 3 to 4 days in a row and then on that third or fourth day you're completely shot like you you can't finish the train you can't finish the workouts you can't finish the intervals you know you're you're cooked and then you rest and you really rest like the next 3 or 4 days you ride for maybe an hour super easy and then you do that same block of really hard work again. Now hmm. that, that work could be five-hour ride over two mountains with FTP. That could be some VO2 max intervals. That could be all these things. But that's really probably the absolute best way to train because you completely drain your battery completely push yourself to and we talked about um, in our last session um, intervals to exhaustion right you push yourself to exhaustion in four days so then the body adapts and adapts during that rest cycle and it goes again now again this is um, a way of training that is only great for some people right one okay they don't have to go to the work week on Monday through Friday. It doesn't matter. And then two, they can do these kinds of big blocks or small blocks of training. But that's that's also that's like a a subset of pyramidal and polarized training. Right. It's not, it's it's kind of you, you could do both of those things, right? You could block training in your pyramidal you know periodization right? And you could put block training in your polarized periodization if you wanted to. So I just want to throw that out there because I had a lot of questions about that recently, and how does that fit in between the polarized and the pyramidal piece? So hopefully that makes sense for folks listening.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. And I think for me, anyway, the lesson to that is that there's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, you, you have to figure out where you are and where you want to get to, and then you you know come up with a way to get there and adjust as you go glenn was talking about how you had a bad day at work well then you know adjust or the approach that you're doing isn't giving you any results adjust so we've talked about uh, you know the training levels the levels of intensity and the different ways that it can help you and you can't do too much of the too hard it wears you out too much and you, you really can't stand to do too much of the too easy because it's just so boring. But how do you actually, like, measure these things? What are these ways to guide you? And I can only think that there's three possibilities, but I bet that they're different depending on where you are in that power intensity curve. There's H, there's heart rate, mm-hmm. and, and within heart rate, you probably could have, like, percentage of your maximum heart rate mm-hmm. versus something else. Maybe it's your percentage of your lactate threshold heart rate. You've got power, yep. you know. As long as you've got a power meter, then you just pick what are, what's the base right. power, and everything is a percentage around that. And then you have uh, perceived effort, right, uh, is another way to go. Is there is there any other way that you use, and do you use? I assume you use power, but do you use any of the others ever?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, I think def- definitely. I mean, I think they all are are valid and important to, to use and to understand. We all started with heart rate training because that's what we had in the 80s, right? And that's what, what we, we know from, right? And it's like, oh, man, I got my heart monitor and I'm good to go. And and I think that that's still a really important measurement. I call it the intensity of your intention, right? So if somebody sends me a power file and it's 200 watts and it's got just a flat line and there's no heart rate data, I don't know. Is that, is that like they're is going hard? Are they riding at an easy pace? I don't know if they send me a power file that's 200 watts and their heart rate's 180 and it goes straight across the top and then it comes down whoa okay they were going hard yeah <laughs> and so heart rate is the intensity of your intention and um how hard am i trying to do something so i yeah. i use that a lot from that perspective and i think that you know when we think about that at the threshold heart rate so let's just say that right if we say okay to give us some some baseline definitions threshold heart rate that's your average heart rate that you would be able to maintain for 30 45 minutes 60 minutes okay so let's say for example that's 160 beats per minute um, that would be your threshold heart rate so you could build training zones around that and lots of people have and i think that's a there's certainly there's nothing wrong with that it's um heart rate's a response so Caffeine, sleep, uh, heat, hydration, all these things impact that. Mood, everything impacts that. So it's not as accurate. Um, not as accurate for what? It's not as accurate as like a power meter, right? It's um, it, for how hard you're working. Right. So let's say, for example, you're tired and you go out and you try and do intervals. And normally you can get your heart rate to 160 and hold it right there at your FTP, at your at your threshold heart rate, rather. Um, but now today you can only get it to 150. And you are trying as hard as you can, you're killing yourself, and you're holding at 150. You know, that that's not going to, you know, are you producing the same amount of power? Um, and no. you very well could be produced the same amount of power at 150. And so if you're looking at your power numbers and saying oh wow i'm doing 200 watts at 150 beats per minute where i normally do 200 watts at do 160. i'm still getting the training stress i need it's just my heart isn't responding the way it normally does is that good is that bad you know probably okay okay if it's down the road and it's multiple multiple days that's just an indicator of a rest needed okay if your heart rate's not responding as well you probably need more rest so, so there's lots of nuances to heart rate, as, as, as um, I think probably a lot of listeners yeah. know. And what I've heard
0: about that and why I have uh, tended to rely on heart rate myself is that even though maybe it, it's affected by a lot of things, and so it's hard to predict you know, what my heart rate would be for a, a level of power, I've understood it and believed it to be a good reflection of the level of stress that my body was under for whatever reason you know I was sick or I was over or tired mm-hmm. or whatever and the other thing that I do which is really hard for a coach to use for with their clients but I think is probably again my opinion is the best is how does it feel mm-hmm. when it feels to way too hard Something's wrong. I mean, all my numbers could be right, but something's wrong. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'll back off. If it, if it just feels like I'm killing myself here, then i got to back off. I don't
2: know what that is. Yeah. What do you think about that? Well, um, that's like when it's not fun anymore. I'm like A lot of riders don't have heart rate monitors, believe it or not, and a lot of riders don't have power meters, of course. So I just uh, use the RPE, the Relative Perceived Exertion. Yeah. And like, like I talked earlier about when I take a rider to the velodrome and he's had a hard day his RPE is going to be higher at the same level if you if he wasn't rested. So mm-hmm. on those days when he's, you know, at a certain threshold he's running at, which may be lower than I anticipate he might be at because he had a bad day, I'm going to have to bring him down because his RPE is so much higher. And I'll ask him on a scale of 1 to 10 or a scale of 1 to like, what that feel like? Oh, man, that was a 5. I go, let's bring it down a level. Because, mm-hmm. you know, what he perceives, if the perception is so high that he's suffering, he's not having fun anymore unless he's into, you know, he's masochistic and likes pain. And there are people that <laughs> like that, but you know, for the most thing is, you know, the, the average person wants to have fun, but wants to know it had a great workout. So you've got to take him to that level where it's, he goes home and thinks, wow, I had a great workout, but I, I'm not like, I don't want to ever do this again. Kind of thing, you know, yeah. so. Right.
1: Right. And, and you know, RPE is a great, it, it ultimately, right. That's one of the things we're using to calibrate these things, right. We're, we're, where when you you first buy a a heart monitor, that's the first thing you do is you you look at the number and you start to calibrate, how do I feel? And you're like, oh, wow, that's what 175 feels like. Oh, that's what 150 feels like, right? Or that's what 120 feels like. And then you get a power meter and it takes it the next step further. You're like, (laughs) oh, 300 Watts gives me this heart rate of 170. And it feels like an eight on the scale of zero to 10, right? And so that it's this really great way of, of giving you a, a calibration, you know? Um, and I think that's where, um, that can be a really great tool many times Then other times that calibration can be off, you know? Um, and so I think that's where it's like, you know, having that power meter, boom, 200 Watts is 200 Watts, 200 Watts from rain, sunshine, sleep, no sleep. It's still 200 Watts. Um, how you feel, may determine whether or not you should do the workout or not. Um, But can you hit that number? And if you hit that number, can you, that, you know, you're creating the training stress that you need. Um, And so I think that's where, um, you know, sometimes it's important, especially if you know the big picture as an athlete out there, um, like, wow, you know, this week is going to be hard, right? It's going to be a tough training week and you have to, be damned what the rpe is be damned what the heart rate is just hit the numbers right and just go and just do the work do the work do the work do the work kind of thing other times Mm -hmm. you're like man man i can't you know this is terrible you know i'm really struggling and i'm not able to do anything here let's say turn around and go home you know take it easy today
0: (laughs) that's great because that was my next question was going to be your advice to people about when they don't feel it when they don't feel right should they push through or should they back off and you're saying well it depends if they're supposed to be feeling it there's a they're they're pushing their training envelope a bit and this because this is the week for that because next week's going to be an easier week well then don't back off because you know you're just going to lose what you've been working toward this week just push through, and next week it'll come back. But if it's not a week like that, then maybe the answer is different.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that, and that's the key: knowing what the big picture is and understanding that. I mean, and you know, I can imagine, Glenn. I mean, you've you you know, I don't know how many gajillion times you won national championships, but um, I know a lot. And um, in your build up to that final phase, building up. I can only imagine that you were highly fatigued, and then you had this big taper period before you went to nationals. Tell me about that a little bit. Oh yeah,
2: well, if if it many times, you know, you you try to hit your peak and you're way off, (laughs) or you get sick before. I always got sick before nationals. That was my thing. I trained so hard, I get sick, and I come at nationals. I was like, oh man, I feel I feel awful. But you know, it's true. Um, When I'm training for something like, you know, worlds was always the big one for worlds or nationals it was like you train so hard you try to hit certain numbers and i'm trying to use the races actually as part of my my fitness well that race i've got to do this this race i got to sit back and kind of watch and just let things happen because i want to, it's like a recovery week and uh, so again i think there were many times when i went to train for nationals or world championships and i overtrained because it was so much harder to train that i i was i was worse off and that's why i really figured out that you know when i'm training for an event it's better if I use races to prepare me for an event than it was to actually train for it. A great example was when I went to Super Week one year. I had I had we had nationals in Tennessee, um, track nationals in in, um, in Pennsylvania, and world and nationals in Tennessee back to back. So I went to Super Week. I spent ten days of Super weeks. So I raced ten solid days in a row. Now, if I had trained ten days in a row, I'd be out dead. But because it was racing. I actually recovered well, and I think I won. I won three golds at track and two golds at road, so I won five gold medals that year. I think it was '95. So, but I had a great time. In fact, I won every race at Super Week. They thought I was on drugs, um, and I said <laughs> they kept telling me they kept telling me I was on juice. And I went orange juice? <laughs> I juice. I honestly didn't know what they meant. I was serious. I didn't know what they meant by juice. I'm like juice. What kind of juice are they talking about? And I, I take. I eat orange juice. <laughs> and then i found out later that juice and then i was doping i didn't know i was i wasn't doping just had a, i had a good it was fun i had a good time but that was a great way to use the racing to train for the national champions and that was probably my, my best performance with that year it was actually you know five gold at nationals. that was a good year yeah. that was a really good year yeah so. absolutely
1: and that, that that's the, that's the time right i mean doing 10 days in a row of racing right i mean that's 10 days yeah. super hard training and yeah. you know like you say, you couldn't do that. You're you know, to to do that by yourself, right, would be nearly yeah. impossible to push yourself. But yeah. you know, the competition itself gets you up so that then you can do mm-hmm. it, right? You you push through and, and even that I you know day six, seven, eight, nine and ten you know, the first 45 minutes you're struggling. You're like, Oh my gosh, my legs are lead," Right. And then you start to feel a little better, feel a little better, feel a little better. Like, man, I might actually win this race, you know, and and then you do and then more training than you would have had you not, had you just gone out by yourself. So the concept is exactly the same, right? Whether you're, you're, you're racing to train or you're just training, you're doing these big, periods of time where you're digging that hole and you don't want to get sick. Okay. You don't want to get injured. So just don't dig it so deep. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But then you come back from that and then boom, now I recover and you have this peak of fitness. So it's, it's not rocket science, but it's, take some, some, uh, some understanding of how you respond to training. It takes some understanding of the kind of dose of training that you need and then prescribing those intensities, kind of, Joe, back to your idea here, of like, okay, well, what's the intensity do you need? Do you need endurance? Do you need sweet spot training? Do we need more sweet spot training? Now, okay, do we need VO2 max? Do we need anaerobic capacity? What does that, that distribution of intensity look like? Yeah. So that that's the yeah, that's all the magic sauce, right? In the last session,
0: we're going through training principles and, and the one that we didn't mention, I don't think was specificity in the the idea being that you get what you train for and you need to you know know what you're trying to get so that you can train for that. But at the same time, you need to build a good level of fitness upon which, you can do your specific training, which in my mind means the, the high-end stuff. My personal experience was that I, I never could get good at that until I got fit in general. Mm. And then I could do high-end training, when I, which never was intervals on a trainer. I've never, I've never done that in my life and never will. But when I got into track racing, it was nothing but interval work. It was all super high-end stuff. And so that's what built that, but it was on a base of, of fitness.
1: Joe, thinking about it from, um, you know, this, again, back to this this master's athlete perspective, you know, bringing this full circle and saying, okay, what is fun, right? What is the fun quotient, right? We know that we're going to have to do hard work, okay? We know, right? And there's no there's, there's, there's so substitute. Well, if you tough. want to get better, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to do hard work. Right? So there has to be a, a, a distribution of hard work that still keeps it fun for you. Right. And is that one day a week? Like, OK, you know what? I can I can be psyched up and I can do it and I can freaking hammer one day a week and I can do these intervals and I can really crush them. All right. Um, and, and, and then the other times I've got also, you know, these days where I'm, I'm doing a sweet spot work where it's, it's fun, it's challenging, but it's not that difficult to do. Um, and then I've got maybe, you know, the weather gets a little bit better. I'm getting, you know, outside more. So I'm enjoying that. Or, or, you know, Glenn in your case, like, man, we've got this race coming up. We're going to do this race, et cetera. Um, so I think that's the kind of to bring it back back that full circle, like saying, okay, let's look at the fun quotient and think about the hard work that has to be done and then we can start to to understand how we slot in endurance rides sweet spot rides long endurance rides whatever else fits in that kind of leads that then leads to your
2: goal you know, it's funny i i'm i'm thinking a lot about you know what i just talked about earlier and i really wonder what the because you know i'm physiologically the same person whether i do a workout or whether i race, and it always baffled me or boggled my mind that I could do, like I said, you know, 10 days back to back, no recovery days, 10 days in a row intense training, or racing, and not have an issue. But if I did just three days in a row, you know, just training intensely like that, it just about kills me. I mean, mentally I'm down, physically I'm down, my body's not recovering well. So what is this huge difference between a race and a training that makes the race so recoverable from and so great for fitness building that the training just doesn't do in the same way. That's the thing. I mean, I'd love to look at that. If there's data on that somewhere, I wonder. I mean, have you do any, Hunter, there's something like that data-wise out there about this?
1: You know, I don't know about that, Glenn. I think that I find that very, I find find it very fascinating as well. Because what is it, right? Is it time under intensity? Like, okay, if you go and do, let's just make it easy numbers. Let's say you go and do... Uh, three times 20 minutes at sweet spot, you know, you get 60 minutes total, but then you go and do a race and now you end up getting, you know, five minutes here and seven minutes here and 12 minutes here. And then you get a little bit of VO2 max and you get a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? You kind of have this buffet of training intensities that for some reason that allows you when you have a buffet, right? And you have this time where you're just kind of chilling in the Peloton as well, that, that allows you to recover faster um, than just like, okay, man, I'm going to go out and slam these three by 20s and I got 60 minutes of just steady state hard work in. That could be somewhat unique to your physiology, okay, as well. So, you you know, that may be just a, a thing that that's part part you, but I have a feeling there's other people out there that are listening to us as well that can can relate to this but i don't know that you know what the what the is there's a specific mechanism or something and and is it just you know wow purely psychological because you are so you are having so much fun right and so it's not like work to you
2: i'm gonna chalk it up to the fun (laughs) well what it would suggest though is that the the as we know the mental side is so very important in bike racing and it's so very important in training is like you know the way you think can uh, must be able to affect the physiology of the recovery process the yeah. fact that you can you can go back to back days without the necessary recovery and get performance out of your body because you're having fun so you're mentally having a good time so if we take that principle and apply it back to all training if you're not having fun, potentially you're not really improving because you're not allowing your body the ability to improve because that fun factor is so important. And I don't think, I don't believe anyone's really studied that, you know, I mean, it's like in, in, um, in the field of psychology, how many years ago they, they coined that whole idea of we're always focused on disease. Now we're going to focus on the, on the happy side of things. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole new called the, it was called now the, um, the positive side of psychology has come out of that, you mm-hmm. know, um. In the same way, maybe in the sports side, we think about the training is more intense, focused type stuff. Whereas if you think about the fun side, if, you know, all our bike racing or all our bike riding is fun besides the really hard days. But if you make the hard day a race to get that interval, like I have days I'll, I'll, I'll put my race calendar down and say, okay, I want to do intervals today. So I'll just start attacking the field. <laughs> I'm going to do an interval. And away I go. And they chase me down. Okay, okay, next interval starts. And they go, this. so I'm doing my intervals by training in the race. Totally frustrating, everyone else. They, so you put a watch on. Every two minutes, I'm going to go. So <laughs> something like, that. like but clockwork. I think that makes it fun. Okay. Yeah, there goes Glenn again. Two minutes. There you go. He's doing his intervals. <laughs> One of the advantages of
0: Zwift is you can get into races and into mm-hmm. rides that are at whatever level you want. Yeah. And so, yeah. if you want to do sweet, a sweet spot race, so get into that level. You want to do, mm-hmm. you know, a, a threshold. Well, then get into that level so um uh, i think that's easier to manage for rides as opposed to races where they do sometimes check your uh, ftp to make sure you're in the right group but uh, anyway uh, so as we wrap this up i wanted to take us down a short path which um uh, i hope you'll you guys will appreciate um, but i recognize that you may not (laughs) and that's (laughs) this that that even though we have made we have Done a lot. We have tried really hard to keep this at sort of that uh, medium-high level and make it understandable to everybody. I wonder if we can't go back up another level. And and I'm going to say it this way. And that's all of this complication of you know polarized or pure middle or block or just under threshold or at threshold or you know all all of these complications. There's no doubt that they matter because you know, our physiology makes it matter. But when you look at, you know, these studies, you always see that somebody did really well on that, even though that one turned out to be not as good on average, you know, and other people did better on another thing. And and so a lot of this is individual. And I wonder if, if we tried to get to an 80-20 thing where we said, look, what is the twenty percent that matters the most that gives eighty percent of the benefits, and we should everybody listening here should focus on those first before they dive into marginal gains. Uh, you know, before you're going after that one percent improvement and two percent improvement, what what's the stuff that gets you the real big things? You know, like ride your bike, <laughs> get on your bike, get as many hours as you can. Now you've got limited time for sure, but The more you ride your bike, the better. I I mean, what do you guys think? What are what are these like top few things that really make most of the difference? Yeah, Glenn, why don't you go first?
2: Wow. Um, Okay, so fun is one. What's the (laughs) two? Fun, fun. Yeah, I would say I would have to say the number one thing would be fun. Um, And I I realize I say that. I mean, it sounds facetious to say it this way, but if you're not having fun riding your bike, I mean, and, and this could be down to the point of like. Um, if where you live, Joe, you're a great example. If where you live, you can't ride your bike outside. That's not yeah. fun because it's dangerous or because the roads have no bike trails, that kind of stuff. So yeah. find a place where it's fun. Now I'll admit, I don't like riding bike trails as much as I like riding the road. I'll ride a yeah. lot harder on the road that one. But then again, I'm always worried about a car running me down. Yeah. You know? So that's why I'm looking forward to Korea. They have great trails and no cars. <laughs> so that's a big plus. But number one is fun. If you're not having fun, then go home. You know, Pack your right. bike and go home and do something else or find a different sport. I mean, some people don't like black riding. You know, I don't know why, but they don't. You know, but pick it up in sport. Maybe it's ballroom dancing. You know. <laughs> what do you think, Hunter? Um,
1: well, you know, I think that um, when when we look at it from what are the things that that you need to do, um, time is absolutely a factor, right? I mean, time, pedaling time is critical, right? When when people come to me and say, "Hey, you know, Hunter." I, I my, my FTP has been at 250 watts and it's been like this for the last three years and I can't get it over that. I, no matter what I do, the first thing I ask them is like, okay, how many hours a week do you have to train? They usually are between 10 and 12. And I say, okay, when was the last time you did a five-hour ride? And they're like, oh man, last year, two years ago, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's the first thing we're going to do is we're going to start doing five-hour rides once to twice a month. Because you, you just you need more time you need to fatigue your muscles your cardiovascular system you know in those five-hour rides that's really critical yeah when when i know my athletes have done their very best in their long rides and when i've done my very best in my long rides is when i'm riding in and i've done you know i'm back to my kitchen sink right i've kind of gotten some two by twenties or something. I've gone over a mountain or I've done some hills, you know, attack some hills and I've stopped at the store with an hour to go and drank a Red Bull and just ripped it home at sweet spot, right? All the way home. And I'm rolling into town about a mile or two miles from my home and my legs start twitching and they're about to cramp. (laughs) They don't cramp. We don't, we don't want cramps. Okay. Cramps are bad. They, they damage tissue. We don't like that but when they start they just start to twitch i know that i have completely exhausted my muscles right i can't i can't mm-hmm. do any more work and i'm also done 5 hours of riding and mm-hmm. my my body is tired as well so i've gotten the cardiovascular stress as well that kind of a ride for a masters athlete is really really important so it's time and then getting in one to two a month big rides where you just do the kitchen sink in there and I love it that will take your FTP been stuck at 250 for 3 years boom 280 right all of a sudden it goes up there and that, that's all right. you have to do well so here's another
0: one i think you've got to train your all your energy systems at least a little bit
2: agreed totally agree absolutely
0: yeah i mean e- even even if we're training the endurance stuff most you got to do the the high end stuff sometimes, yeah. at least a little bit. See, see your maximum heart rate
2: often enough to remember it. For the person who lives in Kansas, that's harder. But for the person who lives in Colorado, it's easier. Or California, because I always think, oh, the hills, I'm going to hit that hill. It's going to be maybe, maybe like a 10 minute effort, and I'll just hit the hill hard. In Kansas, it's kind of hard if you got a flat section, or maybe it's you know just it's. So for those people that have the flatlanders, I guess I call them. They have to they have to kind of either use terrain if they can or maybe use an overpass to their advantage or something to that effect to find I used terrain to, to become my intervals sometimes because somebody's on the watch oh, yeah. is kind of like oh i don't want to start the next interval quite yet
0: oh <laughs> like i lived in types. miami florida and we're talking yeah. pancake flat but there was a right. big bridge going over to keep yep. his cane and i would just yep. do laps on that thing yeah until right. and honestly i barfed one time i mean it was awesome wow <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome <laughs> all right is there anything else that you would say do that before you're worrying about lots of little
1: details no, i think i think that's i think that that's covered it right i mean it's just a okay it's 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 a it's a bit of all those things right it's got to be fun you've got to get plenty of time and you've got to do a little bit of all of the all of the intensities and you know i think the only thing you know that will finalize is FTP is the king right it always is right if your FTP is 200 watts and you move it to 230 you're going to ride faster if your FTP is 230 and you move it to 260 you're going to awesome. ride faster right so well, focus great. on if unless you're a track racer right and that's all you do is race on the track it's an aerobic sport and you've yeah. got to move that FTP up so work at tempo work at sweet spot work at FTP you can never go wrong with that Right. Right. Okay. So we're not going for
0: optimal. We're going for better and just get better over time. And and who knows, maybe you'll bump into optimal somewhere, but who knows what that is. And, and, and it's different for every person in every situation and after every different workday. So go for better. And so then the question is, what do you track to know if you're getting better? And you just talked about FTP. I was thinking of other things like your resting heart rate, unless you're a highly trained person who's been doing endurance work for years and years and years, your heart, your resting heart rate should go down. Is that right?
1: Definitely. Absolutely. The fitter you are, the resting,
2: the lower that resting heart rate will go. Absolutely. Well, Joe, when you talk about tracking for a master athlete, the thing that's kind of funny is that while you're getting older, (laughs) <laughs> you're seeing things you're starting to lose capacity lose abilities yeah. You know, heart rate goes down um, yeah. strength goes down and unfortunately as you start tracking it's like you're trying to counteract that effect I don't think it's possible to maintain it as we get older but yeah. so you have to kind of play this little game of how can I not how can I slow down the aging process because I see it yeah. myself it's driving me it's sure. a little frustrating you know because essentially if you're trying to maintain you have to keep going harder and harder and harder and that gets harder and harder as you get older and older so yeah. Yeah. I think Right now, the ability is to ride the bike is the key <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So uh, getting better numbers on power,
0: uh, you know, if you've been doing it for a while, then maybe that's not the goal. Maybe the goal is to keep it where it is. Uh, I know that, you know, if you can keep your VO2 max where it is, you've done well. But here's another one. This idea of being able to do the talk test or the, you know, ride while you're nasal breathing type of a thing. So it's at that that endurance pace, that fat max pace. What you want over time is the power that you can put out at that pace is getting bigger.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's another so, indicator, right?
0: How would you how would you know that you're at you're really at that you're at that level of effort but your numbers are getting better because you're getting fitter at at the, at the endurance level. So you're preserving your glycogen to use when you go even harder.
1: Right. I mean, I I think that, that, um, I mean, you just have to use those quantitative numbers, right? I think it's like, okay, gosh, you know, I used to have to do my heart rate 160 to do 200 Watts. Now I'm doing my heart rate at 150 to do 200 Watts. Now I'm doing my heart rate at 145 to do 200 Watts. Um, and I think that's, that's probably the easiest thing. I mean, rate of perceived desertion is also a, a key indicator yeah. it to quantify. I think that's the only way you can really do it. Okay. So you might not get it hundred percent right, but you can tell if it's improving.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, I mean, like okay. if you, if you ride the same route all the time, you might say, I mean, I've noticed that I go, there was never a hill there. Why is there a hill there? Because <laughs> there were things <laughs> I didn't realize. You know what I mean? You're like, I know it like, I entered the garden of the gods. And when I used to run it, I go, it's uphill. I never noticed it was on a hill on a bicycle. <laughs> but now I notice I noticed the hill on my bicycle. So I think what I, what I see it as is that as time goes on, um, it just feels easier. If you're, if you're in better shape, it just seems easier. That, that hill yeah. doesn't seem so hard anymore. And maybe right. it's just familiarity with it, knowing how to pace yourself on it. But it may be also the increase of fitness, riding the same ride over and over again. Some days that hill will be hard, and some days that hill will be easy. You know, and it all depends on, you know, your fitness level, how long you've been on or off the bike. And it also depends on the weather, how hard your day is, what your stress level is like. So all the factors play in in your life to make your ride either easier or harder on a particular place in, in a ride that you do every day. Yeah.
1: Fantastic. No. no. Anything to add to that, Hunter? That, that's that's great. That's great. Nope. that's well said. Fantastic.
0: All right, guys. Well, um, thank you for coming back and letting us wrap up this discussion. Uh, This has been really great for me, I hope for the audience as well. And Hunter, we'll we'll put uh, all the links that you mentioned in the last one in these show notes. If you wanna mention anything about your uh, coaching business and your website, feel free
1: yeah peaks coaching group we've got 35 coaches who work for us and we coach athletes all over the world all different levels we definitely you know have plenty of masters riders and that's probably the most people that we coach uh and and we we actively look at at trying to figure out these these questions that we're answering today so it's important to 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 really get a good feel for you know very nuanced sport and uh we enjoy doing it it's a lot of fun and and having a coach in your back pocket is great. So check us out on peakscoachinggroup.com.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, there's a lot of science here, but it's mostly art and you got to work with a good coach if you really want the best. So yeah. these are the guys. All right. Cool. Gentlemen, have a great day. All right. You too. Right. Thanks so much, Joe. See ya. Thank you so much for listening in to our discussion with Hunter Allen. You can find more information about Hunter in the show notes. If you like this episode, please share with your friends. That'd be great help. Thanks again.